Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome into this edition of Mind on My Money presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm Neil McCrady in the Clark Ford Studios. Martin Palomo joins me from central Mississippi. I guess, Martin, you're in you're in Madison right in, now? I'm in Jackson. Yep. In Jackson. Okay. Martin's in Jackson at uh, at his pad with his Pinnacle Trust background <laughs> that you all can't see. I'm, uh, I've got my MPW digital background that you all are probably familiar with if you've watched any of our shows. None of that matters, and I have no idea why I just talked about it. Anyway, we're gonna uh, we we're gonna can. just talk about a number of things. Uh, yeah, uh, Martin had to uh, sort of carry me last week. My internet was down uh, today. Martin's internet's a little slow. I think mine's a little sluggish as well. So we're gonna get through this as best we can. Uh, first, let me tell you that I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. Six six two two five seven nineteen hundred is that number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for, and. Uh, He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. And really, it's that simple. If you're in the market for a vehicle, you think you're in the market for a vehicle, even if you're not sure if you want a Ford, get a quote. Get an idea of what it is that you should be looking for because you do uh, you do want to make sure that uh, you get a deal wherever you get the deal. You get a deal that's fair for you, that's that's uh, one that you can live with down the road. And uh, Corey wants to make sure that uh, that happens for you. And in the event that you decide that, hey, that sounds pretty good, let me just go ahead and tell you from personal uh, experience that you will love dealing with Clark Ford. You'll love the vehicles. You'll absolutely love the service. It's a level of service that, quite frankly, I've never gotten anywhere else. And um, you will enjoy it, too. 662-257-1900. And, uh, Martin, before we start heading down whatever path we're going to head down on this particular show, tell the people about Pinnacle Trust and how they can get in touch with you. Indeed. Uh Glad to be back on, man. I think I've said this in so many of our podcasts. This is about the only consistent part of my week, um, which is good and scary all at the same time as well. Um, but anyway, yes, Pinnacle, uh, we have been up and running through uh, the entire pandemic. Um, you know, one of the things that we are not allowed to do is shut down as we are kind of the plumbing or a part of the plumbing of, of the U.S. financial systems. Um, you know, our clients... Uh, need cash each month, uh, whether the virus is here or not here. Uh, and so we are open for business. One of the things we've been trying to do is continue to, uh, give out a, a solid message through all of this. Uh, we've also tried to make sure that, uh, when clients have needs that we are, we're there to, to take care of their needs. Um, even, you know, if, we, if it is from home. So if you haven't heard from your advisor or you've been doing it yourself through this and your stomach is in total knots, um, give us a call 601-957-0323 um, or you can reach us through email at info at uh, We are also very active on social media so you can find us on our Facebook page um, or Instagram, um, the Pinnacle Trust page. Uh, you can search Pinnacle Trust or Mind on My Money podcast. Um, again, so the telephone number is 601 601- Nine five seven zero three two three or info at pintrust.com. What's up, Neil? I would imagine 
I would imagine every family has one of these texts that say all the same thing. You probably need to send one out to your family saying, hey, if you're on the Wi-Fi, get off. <laughs> is it, is it, uh, was yeah, it real choppy? Yours, yours got, yeah, yours got a little spotty there. Um, so you, you might want to, you might want to send that text out real quick. Um, mine, mine actually seems okay at this very moment. Knock on, uh, knock on wood right here in the studios. Uh, so we were talking about where we get started today and I told you that I've awakened the last couple of days with the same general thought and, and we'll start here because I think it ha- I can't be the only one that feels this way. Over the last few weeks, the, 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 the really few days, the, the overwhelming emotion that I have, the overwhelming feeling that I have is one of, of distrust. Um, people say, what does that mean? I'm like, well, I'm in the media, and so I know how media works. And when I'm talking about media at this point, I'm talking about national media, and I don't trust them. I don't trust either side of the of the national media, the 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 Fox News to the network news to the MSNBC and everything in between. I don't trust any of them right now. I, for whatever reason, I find I'm not saying I'm right, but I, I I don't trust them. I don't trust the president. I don't trust the people that are trying to defeat the president. I don't feel more and more I I trust some medical people because I think their interests are pure for the most part. And I catch myself when there's someone who says the following, I, I, I catch myself really listening when they say, hey, the one thing that we can tell you is that this is a new virus and we're still learning about it. We're still learning about its effects. We're still learning about how it works. I catch myself far more interested in what they have to say from that point forward because sometimes I find the words I don't know to be so honest and raw that it's compelling. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it does. And I'm, I, I'm, I've been reading a lot of conflicting information as well. And, you know, I know that we need to talk about motives and for folks to check their motives. Um, or, you know, when you're listening to what people say, kind of check their motives. You know, some folks are trying to get reelected. Some folks are, uh, you know, have an agenda. So I think you're right. The medical professionals that, you know, that are, that truly kind of have, the interest of the American people at heart. I I tend to listen to them a little bit, but you know, then you get some conflicting stuff from, you know, uh, these deaths or reports are, you know, people, all these things are getting lumped in as well that weren't lumped in or getting kicked out. And there's all these rumors going around and your signal's just not good enough. Is it not? No, you're, you're, you're disappearing for seconds on at at a time. Okay. Um, well dude, I've got, I've got uh, let's all just, devices let, shut down. Yeah, um, let's just hang tight for one second. Let's see if it just kind of gets better. I, I hit the pause button on the record. So, yeah, what you have, Martin, is you have a president who is absolutely running for re-election. This is not a bash Trump thing. It's not a defend Trump thing. It's a fact. Donald Trump is running for re-election, and that appears to be priority number one for Donald Trump. And then on the other side, you have a, a party that is absolutely dead set on preventing him from getting reelected. They are focused on that. They are hyper-focused on it. It is priority number one. You cannot convince me otherwise of either thing. And what that has created is this void in the middle. There is this, uh, there's this absolute void in the middle between the president and the people that are trying to uh, elect, at this point, Joe Biden. 
And it is, as we sit here on May the 5th, it is preventing people, um, I think, from being honest with the American public on both sides. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, yesterday, the, the president all but insinuated that by this summer, this is going to go away. Maybe to zero cases. Meanwhile, the other side is the, the media. And I can tell you that the national media is fed talking points from the Democratic Party. They just are. I can promise you I've seen it. They, they are coming out with this, hey, I mean, it, it could get really bad in June. I mean, another 3,000 deaths a day in the month of June. And so, and I'm not saying either side is right or wrong. Where I'm coming from is this is, is a point of mistrust. So before anybody gets out there and goes, oh, God, he's going off on the, on the conservatives or the liberals, I'm not going off on either one. I'm telling you, I don't believe either one. I, don't, I find zero to be a number that right now is impossible for me to believe. And yet, I don't see the science that supports 3,000. And yet, I don't, I'm not saying that's wrong because I'm not a scientist. But I keep waiting for someone, whether it's the media, whether it's the White House. You know, we, we, we grew up watching like West Wing or shows like that where the president at the end of the day would be this really morally sound, altruistic figure who would stand up and say to the American public, here's the deal. And here's how we're going to get through it. And we're going to do it together. And let's go. I mean, the only real-life moment I can ever remember from a president that did that was, well, there's two, actually, that come to mind. One was in the days following 9-11 where George W. Bush stood on top of the rubble, and he took that megaphone, and the guy said, we can't hear you. And he said, well, I can hear you, and the American people can hear you, and soon the people that did this are going to hear you. And we all were like, yes. Remember that? Yep. And then the other one was the night that that, uh, President Obama announced that Osama bin Laden was dead. And he walked in there and, and basically just told us that this man who had uh, led this attack against our country, against our freedoms, against our way of life, was dead. We had found him. Uh, the, our, uh, our armed services had executed a plan, and we had killed his ass, and he's gone. And... There was this moment when you're like, hell yeah. In both of those cases, for me, and, 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 and listen, I mean, I, I know there are people out there that are so partisan, they can't think this way. But for me, in both of those cases, I'm like, hell yeah, man, that's my president. You're damn right. That's my guy. I'm, that's, that's my dude. Bush, Obama, all of it. And, and, and I'm not getting that from Trump. And in fairness to Trump, I don't know that the media would ever even allow him to have that moment. It is unflattering of him to be at 1 o'clock in the morning tweeting stuff about uh, sleepy Joe Biden or at 1 o'clock in the morning ripping on media. and st- it, it's, it's, Frankly, it's revelatory of someone who's not well. I mean, if you just want to be honest, if, if, if I woke up and I saw that you were tweeting 1.15 in the morning, all this crazy stuff, I would think, Martin, are you okay? <laughs> right. It, is everything all right? And, and so there is this sense of instability that I find unnerving on all counts just across the board right now. And it, it, it is the prevailing emotion that goes through my mind each day when I wake up and I kind of work through it and go on about my life and I do my job and, and, you know, do podcasts like this one and, and, and write and, and do the things that I have to do and, and, and report on the stories that I need to report on. But, 
It's May now. It will be June soon. There are decisions that have to be made here soon, and I'm losing faith in the people that are charged with making those decisions. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the people I've been really impressed with kind of making decisions, and I know I wouldn't want any of their jobs, um, is, is our governor. I think he's, I think he's done a, a good job, um, you know, communicating and, and kind of leading, and has he done it perfectly? Probably not. Uh, I mean, I know that he's kind of embattled with, you know, this, this CARES Act money that our state received. And, you know, there's kind of some political pandering and, and jockeying for, for that piece. But, um, you know, I think that he, I feel, I feel like that he's, he's listened well. Um, and, you know, and he, and he's got a tough job. He's got to balance out, you know, trying to keep, uh, this, the virus from spreading rapidly. And then also, you know, trying to keep another death from happening, which would be an economic death, which, in reality, you know, there was an article that was uh, that was posted by the Economist, or it was it was, it was published in the Economist um, over the weekend called the ninety percent economy. And we've talked a lot about statistics and things like that on this show. And it sounds, you know, when someone says, "Hey, an economy is ninety percent back," that sounds like a uh, like that's a good thing, right? That's like it's not a good thing. It means you're ten percent down. You're ten percent down, but so and. I'm going to just say this on the, I'll say this and I'll, I, we won't need to edit it out because it's not a really bad one, but there's a, one of my mentors had a saying that is, it's so apt for this moment. And he said, um, when the shit hits the fan, it's never evenly distributed and it's true. And so the, the 90% cases is a hundred percent evident of that as well, because it's not that nine of 10 people are going to be employed and there's going to be one unemployed it's going to affect a large massive amount of classes of folks they are going to make up the 10 percent, and most of those folks are going to be your lower income and your middle to lower yeah. income families that are well, here's an example roasting. here's an example here's an example we're, we're starting to see political figures brag about hey we're reopening the restaurants but 25 percent capacity a, a restaurant that's twenty five percent full is a bankrupt restaurant. Yeah, and we can talk about some bankruptcies too because there's some that are coming down. But let's keep going down the restaurant route. Yeah, because I mean, you know, one of the things that was said, I guess, yesterday, and as we're we're publishing this on Cinco de Mayo, so Happy Cinco de Mayo, by the way. Um, one of the things that they said were we were going to try to get to fifty percent capacity in. Uh, in, in restaurants. And I was just kind of thinking about that from a cash flow perspective as well. And I think we've said this a few times on the show, especially when we've had Alex and, um, chef Alex and Tiffany on, and Bob's on, on the show was that, um, the operating margins for restaurant restaurants are razor thin. Um, there's, because there's always, there's been this silent race to the bottom, even in the restaurant business where, you know, if you think about restaurant menu prices really haven't changed much in the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, but the cost of product, the cost of, you know, rent utilities, all that stuff has risen. So that has an impact on, on profits and they're already razor thin. So yeah, I mean, I imagine a lot of folks are going to have problems with, you know, uh, restaurant owners that are operating at half capacity I mean, you can't bring on half of the kitchen, the kitchen crew. It's like, you got to bring, you got to bring them all on or you bring none of them on. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it's going to be, 
I, I don't well, think I can't we're remember. I can't remember where I read this. I read so much. I'm in the same boat as you now. <laughs> which is a good it. thing and a bad thing. Yes, you can't remember where it came from. Uh, but And I can't even remember what town we're talking about. For some reason, I think it's Nashville, but it might be Louisville. I can't remember. And it might even be Chicago, now that I think about it. But 40% of bars that were going good before, uh, before this pandemic hit are just not going to reopen. Yeah. The money's not there. Yep. It's over. Yeah. 40%. So that was bars. That number is going to extrapolate to restaurants. Yeah. So to your 90-10 thing that you were talking about, think of how many people in the service industry had created for themselves a nice living. Yeah. As a waiter, as a bartender, um, whatever the case may be. I mean, look, if you're working in, if you're working in Chicago, for example, and you've got a job at, uh, Joe's crabs, which is a steakhouse kind of crab house down in downtown that businesses are there traveling. Just, let's, we're we're going to use the, the, the waiter here, the waiter, the waiters, waitress. Yep. He or she's working four or five nights a week or a couple of days, four nights, whatever the case may be there at a place where you've got business people coming in from all over the country, from all over the world. They're having meetings. That's where they go to close the deal. They go to the dinner to close the deal or to celebrate the deal that just got closed. Whatever the case may be. Well, those are, you know, I have a brother that works for the Hartford. I can tell you that when he takes his clients out to eat, well, they have a cocktail or two. They have an appetizer. They have an entree. Yep. They have a couple of yep. glasses of wine or a couple of bottles of wine with dinner. They have a dessert. We'll run the math yep. on that tab. And then they tip 20 to yeah. 25%. And so these are people yeah. that are making hundreds of dollars a night wait, waiting tables. I mean, you know, I've done it before. Yeah. And, and so for some of those people, it becomes, Hey, this is such a good gig that I'm just going to stay at it because you can't make that money anywhere else. And before you know it, yeah, they, legally. <laughs> yeah. And before you know it, you, you, you have a, a pretty nice gig and you know, you, you take public transportation out of the city and you live someplace that's a little cheaper and, and, uh, you know, it, it it's all good. It might not be the, the, the dream that you had, but you're taking care of yourself. You're, you're able to. In, in many cases, take care of your family, and it becomes a becomes a lifelong gig. You work in a like you go to a restaurant. In, I, I can think of two or three of them in Chicago where I see family owned restaurants, Italian especially the ones that come to mind. That you can see the generations of people that work in that restaurant. It's the same recipes. It's the same quality. The service is fantastic. The atmosphere is 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 constant. It's great. And now those places are, are, it's going to be difficult for them to get back to that place. And so generations of people, hardworking people who have produced a fantastic product are going to have a difficult time getting back on their feet again. And in many cases, they won't. Where else do they go to start back up again? I mean, what do they do? That's what they've always done. And I mean, it, it, it. I mean, I can literally picture this one. I can't think of the name of it. It's Trattoria something. In Chicago, I know exactly where it is. They have this grilled uh, oyster, not grilled oyster, grilled octopus uh, uh, 
appetizer that is absolutely divine, man. It's on on uh, on this lemon. It's like on a bed of of uh, lettuce with a little lemon vinaigrette, and it's got a little spice on it, and it's just fantastic. And they have this great wine selection, and and the the bartender couldn't be more friendly, even though he sees me once every two years and does not recognize me. I'd never know it. He makes me feel like, hey, I'm Norm from Cheers, yep. just walking in. Well, those kinds of places are in trouble, Martin. Yep. And where do those people go to replace their income if they can't get back to work? And a place like that, if you say, hey, man, you guys have to socially distance to the tune of 25% capacity, well, they're out of business at that point. Yep. Yeah, they are. They are. They're out of business at that point. And, and, you know, and there's, there's a couple of other groups of people that we, we haven't even talked about that are in the same crew. And like, so Jen, Jen used to do hair. That's when we first met, she was, um, she was a stylist doing hair. A lot of those salons are, you know, small um, mom and pop places. They're, they're going to be toast. I have no idea. Cause I mean, I, I know the type of cash that Jen had in the bank when, um, you know, when she was, when she was doing hair and I don't know how most of them are going to survive, uh, you know, and they've gone to school to become, you know, cosmetologists and they, uh, you know, I don't know, some of them will probably have skills that could, you know, be used somewhere else, but there's a lot of them are going to be hurt. And then people, but people say, oh, well, there'll be demand for that when, you know, when, uh, when they come back out, well, there was a, there was a stat again here. I'm going to repeat what you just said. I've read so much. I can't remember where I've read it from that was uh, talking about May rents. So um, about 50% of businesses uh, have are going to either pay a partial May rent or pay none at all. And so it kind of, that starts to, that's not a good thing. You know, some people, you all, you hear a lot of these folks saying, you know, Hey, you need to, uh, put a moratorium on mortgages and rents and you say, okay, okay, I understand the instant gratification and the instant benefit that that gives for that one, two months, but there's a massive domino effect. And we kind of, we briefly touched on it when Marcos. In this was, case, uh, it's, tr- in this case, it's trickle up economics, not trickle down, but it's none, nonetheless, that if the trickling stops. Yep. Yeah, we're in trouble because when, you know, the landlord, when he doesn't get paid, if, you know, he, he can't pay the bank and then the bank goes, there's a default there. It's just a, it's a domino effect that has a, has mass casualties. And that's kind of what's happened, you know, in, in economies like Greece. But so you have, you know, you have the stylists, um, hair, hair folks, barbershops, you know, hair shops that are, some of them are not going to reopen. And it's not because they don't have the skills or people don't have the demand. They just, it's a simple, can't pay their bills. And, when you can't pay your bills, I mean, I know there's a lot of benevolent people in America and in Mississippi, but you know, there, there's going to be people that say, I'm sorry, I can't, you know, you can't, you can't not pay rent for two, three months and, you know, and us slide. And then, you know, the other ones, and I'm sure, you know, for you, I know you do, you ride your Peloton a lot, but you know, gyms are another one that, that, uh, that are, it's, I'm kind of looking at them going, how do they, how do they reopen? You know, you're ones yeah. that are franchised and, you know, they've, I know my buddy owns a lot of the anytime fitnesses in the Metro Jackson area. Uh, he has Paul, um, you know, the dues, the membership yeah, dues yeah. because people aren't coming in, but he, you know, his utility bills still has to be paid. His rent in all of his places have to be paid. His insurance has to be paid. And so he's, you know, hemorrhaging cash right now. Yeah. Like I'm fascinated with mine, with mine, I did a subscription, a, a semester deal. It was basically January through May, and I paid up front a flat fee for the yep. whole time. 
Well, they closed in the middle of March. They're supposed to reopen a week from today, which is a twofold thing. One, will I get two months of credit? I doubt it. I'm not going to lose my mind over it. It is what it is. Right. Right. Two, am I going to um, am I going to feel comfortable going? You know, I mean, there's so much. Yeah. There's such a. I, I'm back to my theme. There's such a disparate level of reporting. Some people saying, "Hey, man, you're good. You're fine," and some people saying, "Oh, it's the it's the end days." I mean, yep. which is it? You know, I mean, there's a there's a story my brother sent me a little while ago about. Uh, I'll I'll pull it up and 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 read it to you. I'll read you the headline because the headline is like, "Oh shit!" Pardon my language. Mind on my money is also brought to you by the refrigeration company TRC is owned and operated by Jeremy Watler who's been in the refrigeration field for more than 20 years, including five as a national service manager. At TRC, they understand that great service means being responsive. They're highly trained, responsible, and dedicated staff are available 24-7 to ensure your complete satisfaction. They specialize in ammonia refrigeration but work on any other HFC, HCFC, or CO2 systems. They're building winning relationships with customers in baking, cold storage warehouses, ice production facilities, and facilities serving dairy, food, poultry, and catfish processing. They're based in Spanish Fort, Alabama, but they're licensed in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina as well. TRC can handle all of your company's refrigeration needs, including installation, fabrication, service, compressor rebuilds, ammonia detection calibration, vibration analysis, and more. To learn more, call Jeremy Watler, 251-348-8533, or email him at jeremy at therefridgeco.com. You can also follow TRC at The Refrigeration Company on Facebook or at their website, therefridgeco.com. The podcast also brought to you by Elite Dental Care, with offices throughout West Tennessee in Germantown, Jackson, and Trenton. Elite Dental Care has five doctors with more than 75 years of combined experience And with their different areas of expertise, the doctors at Elite Dental Care offer convenience along with the latest in technology. In addition, Elite Dental Care is a family practice, so the entire family can be seen no matter age or severity of problems. Elite Dental Care focuses on staying up to date on all the latest technology, including intraoral cameras, digital x-rays and impressions, 3D x-rays, and more. There are TVs and radios in every room, giving patients the comforts of home, and all while they receive the most modern technological treatment. Elite Dental Care offers both conscious sedation and IV sedation for patients that are anxious or scared, or for those that might not be fearful but just have a lot of work to do and can't afford to take time off work for multiple visits. With sedation, Elite Dental Care is able to get much more work done in one visit, ultimately saving the patient time and money. So if you're looking for a dentist in West Tennessee or the Memphis area, call Dr. Mark Harper, Dr. Clint Buchanan, and Dr. Mike Farah at Elite Dental Care. It's EliteDentalCare.com, or you can follow them on Instagram and or Facebook. No, I already said it once. This is... Uh, put, this, I'll put the explicit on this podcast. This is, this is, from, <laughs> this is from Yahoo. Joseph Goldstein is the, uh, is the author. Dateline New York. And I quote, 15 children, many of whom had the coronavirus, have recently been hospitalized in New York City with a mysterious syndrome that doctors do not yet fully understand, but that has also been reported in several European countries, health officials announced Monday night. Many of the children, ages 2 to 15, have shown symptoms associated with a toxic shock 
or Kawasaki disease, a rare illness in children that involves inflammation of the blood vessels, including coronary arteries, the city's health department said. None of the New York patients with the syndrome have died, according to a bulletin from the health department, which describes the illness as a multi-system inflammatory syndrome potentially associated with COVID-19. Reached late Monday night, the state health commissioner, Dr. Howard A. Zucker, said state officials were also investigating the unexplained syndrome. The syndrome has received growing attention in recent weeks as cases began appearing in European countries hit hard by the coronavirus. End quote. So, Damn. yeah, you see, stuff like, you see stuff like that and you're like, whoa, hold up. And then you hear other people say, hey, man, this thing, the heat's going to kill it off. And it's going to die, and we don't know whether it's going to come back or not, but this summer you're going to see cases down at roughly zero. And as a person like me, I'm a sports writer. I'm a broadcaster. That's what I am. And I'm to my credit, I, I never pretend to be something else. I don't know which, which to believe. I know which one I want to believe. Yeah. But I don't know which one I actually believe. And so it makes making decisions like, do I go to the gym very hard? Because, listen, if this thing starts to impact our children, because throughout this, that's been part of the narrative for two months, is that your kids are fine. This won't kill kids. Send the kids back to school. Get herd immunity. Yeah. Which is what I, I want, that's what I want to hear. It's what I want. It's what, yeah. yeah, it's what I want to hear. It's what I, I want to believe. It's what I, at this point, sort of choose to believe. You can't play political football with people's kids. And that's where I'm back to that. Does that make sense, Martin? That's my thing is I keep waiting for officials, whether it's Shermer who came out today with, you know, why can't we have 360 million tests? It's like, oh, for the love of God, now you're setting a bar that no one can reach. There's no one that can reach that bar. So stop. Yeah. No one, it's not realistic to ask of any president. Republican, Democrat, or otherwise, to to put together in less than two months or in less than two decades a plan that tests 360 million Americans on a daily basis. Shut up. And then on the flip side, the president needs to get the hell off Twitter at 1 o'clock in the morning. And so that's where people like me are coming from with this, is I'm in the middle going, wait, who's who's representing me right now? And the answer is, I, I don't know. I mean, you mentioned Tate Reeves. I have to frankly sort of disagree with you. He takes the petty sh- he has to take the petty shots at other at other politicians. Hey Tate, you ran for the job, man. Yeah. You signed up. You're the governor. Act like one. You ran for president. Of course, you had to think you were going to get some criticism, sir. Here it is. You signed up for this gig. Nobody made you do it. It's your it's your job. Criticism comes with the job. It was a. It got Michael Beschloss, the the historian. I'm getting on a soapbox. I'm gonna get off of it. But he. No, dude, stay on it. Michael Beschloss tweeted out the letter that George H. W. Bush left on Bill Clinton's desk, the morning of Bill Clinton's inauguration. And in that letter, President Bush, in his final hours as the president of the United States, wrote a letter to his successor in which he said, "When you read this note, you will be our president." He talked about how he never experienced, he, Bush, never experienced the loneliness that so many previous presidents had referenced, that he always felt a reverence for the job, for the office, and that he hoped that that uh, Bill Clinton did as well. 
And then he said, you will receive criticism. It will be scathing. You will receive barbs. It comes with the job. Don't let it knock you off course. You're my president. I will be rooting for you hard, George. Now, that's a level of statesmanship that we no longer see. That being said, that being said, what George H.W. Bush said to Bill Clinton could not have been more true. Hey, I was president for four years. I took heat. I knew it when I ran for the job. You just ran for a job against me and won, and you're about to become the president of the United States of America, and you, sir, will catch heat. Yep. And when Donald Trump ran for president, he had to know that it was not going to be this admiration society for every day for four years. I'm tired of it. I'm, and I'm not ripping Trump, but I guess I kind of am. Grow up a little. You're in the job. This is a crisis. And here's the deal, man. You want to get reelected? Get us through this. Yeah, it takes a lot of testicular fortitude, um, you know, to, to be a president. And, and you're right. There has, I mean, and that, but that's kind of been from, from day one, um, you know, where there's been the, a lot of the whining. Yeah, well, that's uh, about, and that's the best word. Uh, and, and 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 Reeves is whining, and 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 the, the the governor of Michigan, Whitmer, is whining. Everybody's whining that someone has the audacity to criticize. None of those people are suffering. Tate Reeves isn't worried about where he's going to feed his family. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer in, in in Michigan isn't going to have to worry about how she's going to feed her family. You're all good. Donald Trump walks into a press briefing every day where every member of that press room that's sitting in there has been tested. He knows everyone in that room's negative that day. He doesn't have to worry about it. Just, it's time for people to start kind of being honest with the American public. Stop spinning it. Stop agendas. Stop scaring everybody. Just tell us what the deal is. Yeah, dude, I'm uh, I'm gonna have so much fun editing this show, man. <laughs> My internet popped. I could see your face in the video, and I could tell you were talking, and I could not hear a word that was coming. So when I edit this, I'm gonna listen to the show for the first time too, man. But. Um, so I have no idea what you just said. I'm going to listen with our listeners or as I'm editing it, but, uh, I, 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 from what I could read from your lips, watching through the video, you started off talking about whining is the, is a great word to. Yeah. I just said that, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll summarize quickly. I'm tired of the the elected officials whining about being criticized. Yeah. And when you run, when you run for an office, you're going to draw criticism. Yeah. It's part of the, it's part of the gig. And I get that they're eating, um, Everyone is. Everyone's eating a shit sandwich right now. And it doesn't matter how many pieces of bread you stick on it. It's They're going to have to eat it. And the governors are going to have to bite it. President's going to have to bite it. Congress and Senate. They all have their own sandwich, you know, that they're eating. But, yeah, one of the things I am tired of is. But you, can it, I interrupt you real quick? Yeah, sure. But every one of the people you just named also took an oath. Yeah, they did. No, absolutely. I mean, and I'm not, took I'm it, not you, excusing you, it. You took an, but you took an oath to once you become the president or you become the governor, you're not just the governor of Republicans or just the governor of Democrats. You're the governor of all the people. Yeah. Act like it. Yeah, I don't disagree. When you become, man. When you become a senator, the moment you become a senator, you no longer just represent the party that you're running. You, you, you represent everybody. It's Democrats, Republicans, and I'm criticizing all what anybody thinks. Act like it. Do things that are in the best interest of the people that you represent, and you represent all of the people. If you're the governor of Mississippi or a senator from Mississippi, you represent everyone from Mississippi, not just the Republicans, not just the Democrats, not just the blacks, not just the whites, not just the rich, not just the poor. You represent everybody. Yeah, I mean, if that's only if gig, only that's that the gig you, that's the gig you ran for. Yeah. 
and it's the gig they ran for, the gig they they sold they were going to do, and then they all get to Washington. I can just see it happening too. That's like they get off the plane at Reagan International or Dulles, whichever airport they fly into, and get in their car and they get to Capitol Hill and and all of the promises and all of the things they said they were going to do. I can just imagine that. You know, they, I imagine a lot of them probably inside of them want to do it, but they just can't help themselves with all the partisan bickering. And I'm talking about both sides as well. I mean, and you know, this has been an ugly, this has been an ugly year for politics as well. Um, you know, you've really seen a lot of nastiness and some of it coming from the very top. Um, you know, and you know, a lot of times crises will kind of put people together and, and help folks kind of figure out, uh, you know, Hey, there's a greater good and there's, there's things bigger than us. And man, I wish I could say that that has been the case for this year, but it really, it hasn't either. There's, you know, the, the bickering has continued, you know, and the finger pointing and all that stuff, even through the crisis. Um, I haven't seen it happen where we've quote unquote united yet and it may not happen. This will be another one of your editing jobs. Cause I didn't hear any of that. Awesome. Well, great. I talked about how ugly you are and that I'm glad that, uh, that I don't look like you and no, I'm just kidding, man. Um, one of the things I wanted to jump on too, while we were talking and we kind of got off on a little bit of, of politics was, um, you know, we started talking about some of the bankruptcies that were happening. We've talked about, you know, potential bankruptcies for restaurants, um, potential bankruptcies for, for gyms. Um, but you know, one of the things that, you know, there's, uh, one of the spaces that we've, we haven't really talked about a lot. We've talked about it a little bit is, um, in the retail spaces, which is kind of, you know, there's, it's, it's a little bizarre in the retail space as well, because you have, uh, you've got like places like Lowe's home Depot that have been open through this whole process. Walmarts have been open through this whole process, you know, and we'll kind of, I'm gonna pick on Walmart for just a minute. Um, you know, they really haven't, they never had to shut their doors cause they have groceries, they have, you know, clothing, they have kind of everything. You can find anything at Walmart, <clears throat> but then you have your, you know, a lot of your stores, your storefront, your retail storefronts, and some of them are mom and pops, you know, but we'll talk about the big box ones, you know, your JC Penney's Belk, um, you know, they're in trouble. Uh, they were not able to open, you know, during this stuff. Um, and you know, it's kind of, as I'm looking back through it, I kind of wonder how did we pick and choose, you know, which stores, which companies were going to be able to stay open and which companies were not. Um, you know, we said we were trying to keep this thing from spreading, but if you looked at Lowe's parking lots or Home Depot or Walmart or Kroger through this whole process, I mean, you've seen they're packed, right? I mean, there's not been, there's been some, I guess you can say people have attempted to social distance, but I mean, if you've yeah, been in there, I, I, I'd have a hard time believing that the, the Kroger or Walmart in in Oxford has lost any money. Uh, I would argue that they've made profits for sure. Um, you know, and you look at like so J Crew is another one. You know, that's I mean, and they were kind of already in trouble a little bit. There's been a couple of retail stores that are they're not going to make it through this. You know, you think about Macy's, they furloughed their almost entire staff. I, it's gonna this is going to change how the American business comes back to. So we talked about the 90%, but man, as I'm starting to watch some of these fall, I think 90% is a, a super optimistic number. I don't know that we get back to 90%. Uh, I just don't see the path. 
Well, not without knowing precisely what happens with the virus over the course of the summer and into the fall. And is there a second wave? And if there is a second wave, how do we react to that wave? I mean, there's a lot of questions that, you know, I work on every day as it pertains to college athletics that are still, as of this moment, uh, unanswered. Uh, I noticed yesterday the Arkansas Athletics Director, Hunter Juracek, said in a, in a conference call with trustees or board members or whatever they call them in Arkansas, that, hey, we're going yep. to get the team together around July the 15th. We're going to uh, quarantine them at an at a on-campus hotel, and we're going to start practice, and uh, we're going to open as scheduled on September the 5th. And everybody was like, yes, sir, woo pig, let's go. And then, uh, and then you know, beyond before the end of the day, he had been pressured to walk those statements back and just say, hey, that's sure. just one of the options. You know, anytime anyone has any optimism at all, the other side just shoots them down, boy. Just a, a hail of proverbial gunfire, and it, I, so you, so you're left to go. Well, I mean, and then I've talked to other people who are familiar with it that say, "Hey, you're a check is right." As of right now, that's the plan. There were people that came out yesterday that said, "Hey, Major League Baseball players." Trevor Plouffe of the Minnesota Twins was the one that said this, and some other players backed him up. That he said, "Hey, what I'm hearing from baseball people." is we're going to report for spring training, part two, around June, June 10th, and we're going to play games in major league stadiums without fans starting July the 1st, which, Martin, I can tell you, is the exact date that I was told last week from some baseball people that I know. And within minutes, that was getting shot down by national reporters. Nope, not true, not true. Well, they didn't make that up. They were hearing it somewhere. So how do you know it's not true? But it's, nope, nope, any optimism, anything that's hope has to be killed immediately. And anybody who says, man, I'm just kind of ready for us to move on, you're irresponsible. And and yet at the same time, I mean, you know, it's where I go back to, but if, what if, you know, I mean, you read credible people that say, hey, man, there's going to be another spike in June and July. And if that's the case, then we don't need to be opening everything wide open where, I mean, you know, 3,000 Americans dying a day is a significant number. That is that is a significant number. That's a number that means something. It should mean something to all of us. Now, how much of that number is in a nursing is in nursing homes and how much of that number could be controlled if we would just crack down on nursing homes? And how much of that number would yeah. would how much how would we feel differently about that number if we could acknowledge the painful truth about nursing homes, which is the only people that live in nursing homes are old people who are sick. The average stay for a person in a nursing home is five months, not because they move out, but because they die. They die. Yep. And that's yep. sad. I mean, and you're talking language. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you're talking language that we we talk about for from an insurance perspective, you know, and trying to, but the, but the numbers are the numbers and, and, and you're right. Um, the average long-term care stay is not long and it's usually not because they get healthy and they they leave. Yeah, and, and they don't go there. No one puts their loved one in a nursing home until they're sick to the point that they can no longer do it. Yeah. Or there's no one there to help. That they can't function on their own. And when you get to that place, unfortunately, sadly, the end is near. And, and, and that's sad. It doesn't take away the sadness, but when you're having a conversation about the economy and what we should do, there's a complete difference in in. That's where I think people are frustrated. Is that's I'm back to my point. I mean, it'd be easy to put a theme on this one. Is which which is it? I mean, there's there's and, and is it in the middle somewhere? What is the risk really to reopen a college in in August? 
What is the risk, really, to reopen high schools and middle schools and elementary schools in August and to let the kids get back to school? Understanding that, there is absolutely zero way to prevent these kids from exchanging germs. No chance. That's where it happens. And most of the time, so you think about a lot of flu stuff. That So this last uh, wintertime, the flu was running through my daughter's school so rampantly. Um, so uh, uh, several of the clubs like the show choir and, um, and groups like that ended up having to, they didn't get to go to a performance because they were missing most of their kids. But So we, we had taken the kids to the doctor and Bella had something, or maybe it was Christopher that was sick. I can't remember which one. And, um, they, and the doctor was kind of jokingly talking about you know, we, we need to shut Jack's Academy down for a couple of weeks so they can stop spreading the flu. And I kind of laughed about that. Um, you know, of course this was pre Corona and our, you know, I guess one of the things that, that the coronavirus has made me aware of is how infections and viruses and diseases transmit and things you can do to, <laughs> to try to help prevent that. Whereas, you know, I really just didn't think much about it before. Not that I didn't think about it at all. I just didn't think much about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's where, you know, schools are where the stuff transmits and that's where, you know, kind of the kids all build up, they get the stuff, they, you know, it, they build their immune system up too. And, and then, you know, and they do bring it home and import it back to the house. But, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, there's these two docs that are, you know, Google is, uh, YouTube's removed their stuff that they've been, they were on Fox news, uh, you know, one, it was one, I won't dive into all the stuff they talked about, but one of the things they said that really made a lot of sense to me was, you know, as we're completely disinfecting our houses and we're trapped in our houses and we're, um, you know, we, we're wiping everything down, we're wiping off all of the natural bacteria and virus or whatnot that live on our skin, um, that we're kind of starting to move backwards with our immune system as well, that our immune system stays healthy and strong as we get exposed to stuff that's outside of our house. And, you know, I kind of started thinking about that. And as we've been wiping everything down and we've been, you know, sanitizing and we haven't been exposed to stuff, you know, I, some, I wonder if, if it's not, if there is kind of this quote unquote second wave, is it also going to be a byproduct of, you know, it's that our immune systems have decreased through all this. Cause we just haven't, we've been in a, in a bubble in like a vacuum. Um, yeah, those are all great questions. I don't know the answers. It's, it's yeah, I don't either. Be, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, you know, it, it's there's two different schools of thought. You know, again, and we'll probably wrap here because the, the connection's been been rough. We'll hopefully we'll we'll this is a one off and we'll we'll get back to normal soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the the one thing that that is is disturbing about that is that from the beginning we were told, hey, we have to flatten the curve. We have to make sure the medical systems are 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 okay, and and we've done that and. And, and now it's, we have to shelter in place and we have to, we have to, uh, we, we can't get out and about and, 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 uh, you know, you watch what Sweden and other countries have done with the herd immunity and that kind of thing. And, and I'm not saying Sweden's right and we're wrong or vice versa. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I've never been to Sweden. I don't know. Uh, but that's, these are the conversations again, these are the conversations that I wish we could watch our leaders have in a, in a civil way, I'd love to sit to watch the president sit down with the help people and sit down with Democratic leadership 
and have a conversation about, okay, how do we, how do, we do this moving forward? Because here's the thing. Whoever's elected in November, assuming we have elections in November, whoever's elected in November, Martin, they're going to inherit this problem. Yep. It's not whether it's yeah. whether it's Trump who just keeps having it or whether it's a new president and then God forbid and I mean this seriously a situation where you have a a two and a half month transition where the two sides are going to have to freaking work together during what could be flu season yeah I mean we, we we're gonna I guess I, I've, I've kind of answered my own question over the course of the hour what I'm asking politicians to do is to grow up yeah, that would be best for our country. You're going to have to, whoever it is, is going to have to represent us. And if there's a transition from from one president to another, it's not, Donald Trump's going to be the president in December. Yes. He is. He's going to be the president throughout November. He is going to be the president throughout December. And he is going to be the president at a minimum for the first 19 and a half days of, uh, of January. Of January. Yeah. And so this this just attack 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 on him at all times is, is ridiculous and i don't know I'm, I'm i'm frustrated a little so maybe it's a perfect perfect day for us to have a, a weak connection that is frustrating because i catch myself more frustrated today than i've been in a long time yeah well you know and i guess one of the things that uh maybe the silver lining through all of this is is even the obstacles of our podcast will will be overcome by both of us working together you're gonna you're going to give me your recording. I'm going to take my recording. I'm going to splice this thing together. And we're probably going to yeah. laugh because we're going to have made comments on here about, hey, man, I didn't hear you. And our listeners are going to be like, what the hell is he talking about? His, yeah. You could hear everything. Um, yeah, because we, 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 we had to really uh, – this, this thing sort of flim-flam together a little bit. But that's okay. Yeah. It, uh, it'll all work out. All right, we'll stop there. Cool. Uh, everybody in, in your house, everybody in my house can, can get back on, on, their, uh, on their devices and, and get their drug. Uh, firmly injected back into their veins. So um, for uh, Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Don't forget, it's pintrust.com. It's P-I-N-N trust.com. Tell the people uh, at Pinnacle Trust that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on this podcast, on any of the Oxford, Exxon, MPW Digital family of podcasts, and you'll save 10% off your first year's fees. Until next time, take care.